The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. We have a huge privilege, we have a blessing to have with us my friend, Pastor Josh Tice. And uh, Pastor Tice was on vacation up here at Yosemite. Any of you guys ever been to Yosemite before? And uh, yeah, a few of you maybe. And he was up at Yosemite and uh, I invited him. He's been here before, he's preached for us, he's a friend of ours. And since he was in the area, I invited him to come and to speak to us. And uh, I know it'll just be a huge, huge blessing. Pastor Tice pastors the Southern Hills Baptist Church there in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, how many of you knew there were there are some sinners in Las Vegas, all right, that need Jesus? And so he's there preaching the gospel, serving folks. Um, God has just been doing some incredible, incredible things in that area. Uh, they started the church a few years back, he and his wife, Heather. And over the years, God has just, just seen some incredible, incredible growth. This last year, they moved into a new facility. Uh, auditorium sits about 600. I was back there a couple months ago to preach. Uh, Josh invited me to preach my scripture sermon that I've preached here uh, before. And uh, brand new facility, 600 seats, you know, and uh, they just moved into it. And they had that building filled two times, and they've just been in it now for a couple of months. And they're talking about how they're going to have to add more services. And it's just been incredible to see as they're getting close to a couple thousand people coming to church. It's just unreal. And God's been blessing in a, uh, a great way. And we joke a lot. I say, man, there must be a lot of people who need Jesus in that area, you know. And yeah, they're, they're, there's one or two of them there in Vegas, I guess. And so... I'm so glad that he's back with us. Last time he was here with us, he was a huge encouragement and a blessing. Uh, the morning service was just just super powerful, and uh, I know it's going to be a blessing to you. We had a great early morning service. I think a lot of people wanted to come church early before it got too hot, and so we had a great, great group this morning, but I'm glad you're here here later. Not quite afternoon yet, but uh, we're glad you're here. We're looking forward to a great time. So here's what I'd like to do. We're going to read our text. Uh, I'm going to have a word of prayer while I'm praying. I'm going to ask Pastor Tice to come, and then we'll get right into our service here today. Uh, if you're physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from 1 Peter chapter number 2, and uh, we'll be reading in verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Here's what the Word of God says, 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, lay it aside. Let's have a word of prayer as we speak on the subject of forgiveness. I am glad you're here. Um, Josh and I, Pastor Ermler and I have been friends since we were teenagers, since we were very young. And so if you ever meet someone and, they intru- and he introduces you to them and he says, this is my friend so-and-so, please just in your mind remember that's not pastor's best friend. Pastor's best friend is, is Josh Tice in Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> I hold that distinction. I am glad to see each If you think you're pastor's friend, please understand you are but just not as much as I am. That's what you need to understand. I'm the top. We've been friends since we were teenagers, and I am glad to be here. We've preached, I've preached in his church. He's preached in ours uh, over the years, and I'm glad to be back. Uh, we are in First Peter chapter number 2. Uh, I am from Las Vegas. I'm a pastor there. If you were not part of the church uh, years ago when I preached here, let me just introduce you. I'm from Las Vegas. Anybody here ever been to Las Vegas before? Anybody ever been? Raise your hand. Let me see. How many of you? A bunch of sinners. All over. <laughs> No, come on, raise your hand, be proud of your sin. Let me see you. Come on, some of you are like, Ugh. raise, let me see, let me see, Vegas people. What are you doing? Well, you bunch of sin- oh, no, I, no, I go to Vegas to reach sinners with Jesus. You go because you're a wicked person. <laughs> I'm just serious. 
Now, turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to get started uh, today. I'm just kidding for those who are new. Uh, we are glad you're here. If you've never been to the church before, I'm not the normal pastor. I am not the normal pastor. The normal pastor was the guy who was just here. You're going to come back next week and be part of that. 1 Peter chapter 2. Today's message is very, very simple. It's entitled, How to Forgive. We're going to be talking just about forgiveness. That's it. Very simple. Now, when it comes to forgiveness itself, we as Christians understand that we are supposed to forgive. And over and over in the Bible, it tells us to forgive. But oftentimes, we don't really talk about how to forgive. So today's message is very practical, just a how-to sermon. According to the scripture, what the Bible says about how we can uh, forgive. And we just read the text a moment ago, so we'll forego that, and we will get on to the rest of the sermon. I'll go back to it in just a moment. I asked a moment ago, how many of you have been to Vegas? Let me ask you this question. How many of you in this room have ever been offended by someone else? How many of you, before you raise your hand, have ever been offended by someone else? Raise your hand. Let me see. Anybody ever been offended? Sure. Okay, it happens to us. How many of you have ever ordered a pizza and the pizza came late? Anybody ever have that? Okay. How many of you ever ordered food at the restaurant and the food came and it wasn't good? Anybody ever? Okay, so we've been offended. How many of you ever been offended by small things? Yes. How many of you have ever been offended by something major, like it was a big problem? It wasn't something like late food or it wasn't something like somebody was snarky or mean. It was a genuine, serious offense. Sure, we've all been there. So how do you deal with those those aspects? How do you deal with forgiveness? How do you bring forgiveness into yourself and give it to others? That's what we're going to talk about today. Here's the question that I have for you or the statement that I have today, and that is this. Forgiveness, Forgiveness isn't easy, but it is simple. Forgiveness isn't easy, but it is simple. What we're going to talk about today, it's not, it's not like I say, okay, this is what I want you to do. What I want you to do is a piece of cake, just do it. Okay, it's not easy. It's going to need to take the power of God in you and through you to be able to do this. You cannot do it from yourself. It's not easy, but it is simple. In fact, it's so simple, I can give you forgiveness in four words, and these are those words. Are you ready for them? All you need is these four words from what I see in the scripture to really concept and understand and walk through with forgiveness. The first word is, is, is the word love. The second word is the word honesty. The third word is the word pity. And the fourth word is the word trust. That's it. That's all you need. And I'm going to begin with that first one. Love. How many of you understand as Christians we are called to love one another? Yes, called to love one another. So let's go ahead and begin with that concept of love. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, look what it says. It says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, what is going on here? Let me try to explain. In this passage, I want you to do something as I walk through the story today or the sermon today. I want you to picture three individuals on forgiveness. I think I might need a new battery. Is that jumping in now? Is that me? No, is that? Oh, okay. All right, good. All right, three individuals. Here they are, Peter, Paul, and Jesus. Peter and what he taught about forgiveness. Paul and what he taught about forgiveness. And then Jesus and how he demonstrated forgiveness. So we're going to begin with Peter as he writes to the the, the churches uh, in, in Asia Minor. Can you picture Peter now? Can you picture him? There Peter is. He's slightly leaning over a desk with a quill in one hand and a large scroll in another, and he's writing to the refugees throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. That's what 
First Peter chapter 1 tells us. He's writing a letter to these people. That's what First Peter is. And what is he writing a letter about? He's writing to them because these people in these churches are standing strong in the midst of great trials and persecutions. The churches that they were dealing with were like the Middle Eastern churches of today. He's writing to churches that are under great persecution. They're poverty stricken. They're going through a great time of trial. But he's dealing specifically through this passage with the concept of hospitality. Hospitality is being utilized by the church at an unprecedented level. Gracious Christians are now opening their homes to strangers who are fleeing persecution. Understand historically what's happening. Down in Jerusalem, persecutions. In Judea, Galilee, Samaria, all these Christians are fleeing their homes and they're running north up to where it's a little bit more free. It would be modern day Turkey. So they go to Bithynia and Galatia and Cappadocia and all of these places is where they are. Now the Christians in those cities are told all throughout the New Testament to be hospitable which means they're to come and stay in their homes. How many of you are like me? How many of you are kind of a private person? Kind of a private person? How many of you, you know, it's, it's a step for you to go out to dinner and spend two or three hours with somebody, let alone having another family you've never met show up on your doorstep and have them live with you for a couple months? How many of you be thrown off if some Christian family from some country came in and lived with you, that, that would throw me off. How many of you like that? That's literally what's happening in this passage. And so hospitality is raging and, and people are being kind and gracious and all these persecuted Christians are coming in. But the problem is when one Christian family from one region is living with another Christian family from another region, they move in together and you know what happens? Perfect peace and harmony. How many of you believe that? No. In fact, there was a lot of strife, a lot of problems. And so one of the issues the apostle Peter was dealing with in these churches was this. He says in verse 1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. And he goes through chapter, chapter 2, explaining as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the world. Uh, word, look at verse 3. Ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, therefore you be gracious. Verse 4, he talks about the fact that... Um, uh, be, that you're chosen of God and precious and you're lively stones and spiritual house, except for God through Jesus Christ. He's talking to these people who are de- dealing with all this persecution, all these problems, and he's talking to them about being hospitable one to another. Now we arrive in chapter four, and by the time he gets in chapter four, verses eight and nine, look what it says if you turn the page over to chapter four, verses eight and nine. He says, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Okay, okay, okay. As he's dealing with these people, he says, I want you to have fervent or passionate charity. The word charity means love. I'm going to say charity. You say love. Charity. Charity. Only four of you are doing it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to keep going. Charity. There it is. Charity. So he says, I want you to have fervent love among yourselves. For love shall cover a multitude of sins. Use hospitality one toward one another, but without grudging. That is, let people into your home, love them, take care of them, help one another, but don't do it with an angry spirit. Love. Well, how do I overcome all these problems that are coming in? Love covers a multitude of sins. Pastor, how do I deal with small offenses and irritable things from friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, relatives, and all the such? How do I do it? Here's how you do it. Love is what you do. Let, let me explain it this way. 
How many of you have ever seen a scripture in the Bible that has been misinterpreted and misapplied to a situation, maybe taken out of context? Sure, that happens all the time. We know that as Bible students. I'm going to share with you what I believe one of the most misinterpreted Bible verses in regards to forgiveness and, uh, and intercommunications with Christians. Let me give it to you. It's a words of Jesus, and it's found in Matthew. You don't have to turn. There will be on the screen. It's found in Matthew. Oh, no, I don't think it is. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Here's the verse. Jesus says, if you've not heard it, here it is. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go, be, go to him and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. How many of you have ever heard this, story, this passage where Jesus says to all of his disciples, if your brother trespasses against you, go and tell him his fault, and then you talk about it, and if he hears you, you've restored your brother. How many of you have ever heard that before? Would you raise your hand? Some of you have heard that. If you haven't and you're new to it, that's okay. Jesus says, if there's a problem between two people, go one-on-one. The emphasis of that verse is don't bring it to a bunch of people. Don't gossip to people about it. If you have a problem with somebody, go and talk to them. How many of you think it's better to go talk to somebody than gossip about them, right? That's what Jesus is dealing with. And then he says in verse 2, or the very next verse, he says, if that person won't hear you, bring two or three witnesses who have seen the problem, and they can speak into it. If they won't hear them, bring it before the church. And if they won't hear the church, then he says, kick them out of the church. Why do I call this one of the most misapplied Bible verses? Here's why. Because Christians often take this verse and think that that deals with every little offense that they've ever experienced. Therefore, if I'm mad at somebody, if Sally hurt my feelings, I'm going to go talk to Sally because Jesus said I need to go one-on-one and tell her I have a problem with her. That's not what this verse means. You think to yourself, well, who do I need to forgive? Man, there's a guy in my life three years ago. He really, really, man, what he did to me. I need to go tell him one-on-one what happened. That's not what this verse is saying misapplied. This passage is dealing with sin so grievous, you can eventually get kicked out of church for it. That is, if they won't hear you, then you get to bring it before the leaders of the church. If they won't hear the leaders of the church, bring it before the whole church. If they won't hear the church, then they get kicked out. You cannot use this Bible verse to deal with your interpersonal conflicts. Say, somebody really bothered me. I'm going to sit him down. This happened to me recently. Happens with Christians all the time. And if you've ever done this, relax. I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to help you understand what the Bible actually says. I had a a Christian sit me down. A friend of mine uh, sit me down not too long ago, a while ago now. He sat me down and it was over coffee. I had not heard from him for a very long time. And he's a good guy, good friend of mine. And he emailed me and out of the blue, I had not talked to him for about a year and a half. But I thought it was because I was busy and he was busy. He emailed me. The email opened up and it said, Dear Josh. I'm like, oh, it's from my friend. We haven't, as you know, spoken to one another for over 18 months. I'm like, yeah. And you've probably noticed the tension in our relationship, as have I. And I thought, no. (laughs) Clearly, we have some issues that need to be discussed. And I would like to meet over coffee to discuss these issues highly dramatic. And I thought to myself, what did I do? And I remember racking my brain. I emailed him back. I don't know what's going on, but I definitely want to meet with you. You're my friend. You know, let's meet. And so he emailed back, fine, let's meet. And we, we met at a coffee shop in a specific time. For the next 30 days, I'm racking my mind. What did I do? What did I do? Now, don't get me wrong. I know I did something because I mess up all of the time. I'm sure I offended in some way. But finally, we got to the coffee shop. I sat down. I saw him coming in. I said, hey. And he was very stoic. Hello. As the little briefcase came in, sat down, put it down. And he looked at me. 
He said, I think it's time we had a talk. I said, yeah, I'm glad to see you. I said, so, what did I do? <laughs> and he, went, and he began by saying, well, last Sunday I was sitting in church and the pastor spoke on Matthew chapter number 15. And he said that I want you to search your heart and if you have bitterness in your heart toward anyone, you're not supposed to have anger. Therefore, Jesus said, go and talk one-on-one -on -one with them and explain why you're upset with them and then you'll be restored. And I said, oh no, here it comes. And he said, therefore, whenever I sat in the church and I thought, do I have a problem with anyone? Your name came to mind. I have a lot of bitterness toward you. And I'm like, wow. Okay, what did I do? He said, there are four things. And then he went through four things that I had done over the last 18 months. And I didn't even know I've done any of them. How many of you ever done something really stupid and you re didn't realize it was stupid? How many of you are kind of simple like me and you realized, I didn't know I messed up. I probably did. But he went forward and he was with a lot of passion and enthusiasm letting me know how bad it was. And you could see as he was telling me how bad I was, you could see the pressure come off of his shoulders. In fact, the very last thing after he told me what I'd done the whole time, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The very last thing he said, literally, he went, man, I feel better. And I remember thinking, I don't feel better. I feel terrible. And then he said, I'm glad we did it the Bible way. And I didn't, I didn't really think through it until later I studied the passage and realized that's not at all the Bible way. The Bible way is not re relieving your bitterness by telling others all the little things they've done wrong to make you feel better. You say, then what am I supposed to do? Now, if somebody sins against you so bad that it can be brought before the church council and they can be removed from the church for it, then follow that passage. But if you say, well, that sin wasn't bad enough to kick him out of church, then what should you do? Okay, the answer is love. Love them. See, what does love do? Love covers a multitude of sins. Look what 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says. A moment ago, we saw this just a moment ago, did we not? We see in 1 in, in Peter 4 and verse 9, you love because love covers those sins. It overwhelms. You say, oh, you just want me to sweep it under the rug. No, I want the blood of Christ to go over that sin. Why are you dwelling upon it and bringing it back and constantly thinking about it when you could just love them? Look what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says about love. It says that love suffereth long and is kind. Love vaunteth not itself, it's not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Look, love doesn't think evil of the other person. Love doesn't assume the worst. When somebody makes a mistake, if you love them, you think, oh, that's just a mistake. L love, the, according to the Bible, it says beareth all things. It means it puts up with stuff. If you, look, if you as a Christian truly love somebody, you'll put up with them. How many of you are thankful that there are people in your life that know you well enough to know your problems and they still put up with you? See, not me, pastor. Nobody puts up with me. I put up with everyone. Oh, trust me, friend. A lot of people put up with you. <laughs> Is it not true? Isn't it awesome if you're married and you're in a good relationship? You're in the point in the relationship where you realize they really do put up with me. If you have children. How many of you have children? You, you, you still let them live in your house and you put up with all their shenanigans. You say, why? Because love, love covers a multitude of sin. It bears this sin. It doesn't do it. It doesn't constantly overwhelm itself by the minutia of the problems that people have. So what do you do when you have these offenses? Number one, love. Here's the second word. Here's the second word. The second word is honesty. How can I be free 
through forgiveness? How can I be free from the burden of bitterness? Honesty. Listen, you've got to start being honest with yourself about yourself. A moment ago, we pictured the Apostle Peter writing to the churches in Macedonia. Now I want you to, be on, I want you to picture the Apostle Paul. Here's the Apostle Paul. It's later in his life. He's in prison and he's writing letters because that's just all he can do. And as he writes a letter, he wants to write the church at Ephesus. He loved the church at Ephesus. He had spent three years there in Acts chapter 20 at the very end of his time there. He gives an impassioned plea, follow God, love God and love one another. And he leaves them. Now he's in prison and everybody keeps telling him about the church at Ephesus. Paul, did you hear what's going on there? Paul, do you hear there's disunity? Paul, do you hear that the church is fighting? And it grieves the Apostle Paul and he's in prison. He's about to die for the faith. And so he writes to the Ephesians and he spends three chapters talking to them about the unity that they have in Christ, the love that they have in Christ, the forgiveness they have in Christ. And he spends all this time expressing to them, don't you see that Christ has forgiven you? And then finally in chapter four, he says in verse 32, so be kind one to another. Be gentle-hearted, forgiving one another. For even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. After three chapters, he finally gets to one of his points. And he says, just, he says, if, if church at Ephesus, just be ni- look, just be nice to each other. How many of you believe Christians should be nice to at least each other? Can I get an amen? Some of you aren't sure. Can I get an amen? Be nice to each other. He says, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why and how? How do I forgive? How do I forgive? Even as Christ, for God's sake, or God for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You know, the way you forgive is realizing how you have been forgiven. How many, how many folks here are imperfect? Anybody here that's still not yet there? Anybody here? Christians admitting they're not yet perfect? All right. How many of you have already arrived? You have not made a mistake in the last seven years. How many of you are perfect? No, not many of us. Oh, no. Yeah, down. All right, very good. She's like, oh, no, I, I wasn't paying attention. All right, very good. All right. Sure, we're not perfect. We still make mistakes. In fact, for example, let me give you a few of mine. I'm a sinner, uh, saved by grace, I would say, a saint in the sight of God, but still I make mistakes. One of them is I'm envious. I'm an envious person. I'm an envious person. Whew, feels good to say it. I envy. I drive my Honda. I like my Honda. Drive it down the road until I look over and see a Bugatti. And I'm like, I think I like Bugattis more than Hondas, you know. I'm kind of envious. I, I flip through Facebook. Have you ever done this? Have you ever been like trapped in your week and it's Wednesday? And you're like, it's a long time to the weekend. And, my, and it's like months before I can get out of town. And it's 180 degrees. And you're flipping through Facebook and somebody's at Disneyland. And you're like, oh, God bless them. You know what I mean? And there's like a subtle sadness that comes in at the moment. And then if you're not careful, that sadness can turn into sarcasm if you're like me. And you, you know, you're like, yeah, I feel like commenting. God bless your trip. I wish we could be so free with our money. Hashtag saving for the future. Hashtag we tithe. Envious? Are you envious? Have you ever done that? You ever thought about it? See, this is one of the things I struggle with. I, I make mistakes like that. Envious. I, okay, let me tell you another thing. I'm not only envious, uh, I am also um, 
I'm also a liar. I lie. I don't mean to lie. No, this is true. I don't mean to lie. I almost did it this morning. Um, I, 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 let, let me explain. Let me explain. Not in the sermon. I try real hard not to. I just get, I just get excited and then I overcommit. Anybody like that? Like I get excited and I overcommit. For example, um, back here, Caleb was telling me uh, he's going to go to Ireland next year. And uh, I'm like, you going to Ireland? He said, yeah, we're going to rent out a castle, a bunch of friends. And I'm like, that's awesome, man. He's like, yeah, it's going to be great. As many people as we can come. I'm like, when is it? What time? Maybe I should come. You know, I'm like, uh, like getting in. Pretty soon he's going to be signing me up. I'm going to sign up for it. I'm excited about it. This, ha- this happened recently at, at my church. Somebody who is starting a new small group in the fall came to me. And they're like, Pastor, I'm going to start this small group and we're going to do this and that. And he, yeah, he started getting really excited about it. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And he said, I said, when does it start? They said, he said, September. I said, what day? He's like, every Tuesday night. I'm like, oh. I said, man, I would love to come to that. He said, you would love to come? I said, yes, I would love to come to that. I said, he said, every week? I said, I would love to come every week. I just got so excited. My, he walked away. My wife said, you're not going to that group. I said, of course I'm not. She said, but it sounds like you made it sound like you're going to go to his group. Yeah, but I didn't mean that. I'm just excited. This is what I do. Now, what happens? Now, this seems funny to you, but it's not funny to this guy or to the other people I've heard because they walk away and they think, Pastor promised me something, and all I did was got overexcited and I overcommitted, and guess what? I disappoint people. That's what I do. I'm a liar. It's a lie. See? I, I'm a bad driver. <laughs> this is very therapeutic for me. I'm just talking about all my sins. I really am a bad driver. My church knows it. My church knows. In fact, I will tell my church, if you've been coming to the church for a while and I have not cut you off, it's going to happen. I know some of you just, the, you think the worst sin in the world is bad driving. You say, how could you say that? Because it's true. I'm a sinner. I'm a bad driver. In fact, I had one guy not too long ago tell me, he said, pastor, it's a joke at our church. I'm a bad driver. He said, pastor, the other day I was driving on Blue Diamond Road where our church is. And he says, I got cut off. And he said, I was about to give him the finger. Now, you got to understand, in Vegas, we have a lot of sinners. He said, Pastor, I was about to give him the finger, and then I thought, maybe that's Pastor, so I didn't. You know? <laughs> and I said, well, praise God. I'm really glad you did not. It wasn't me, though. It wasn't me that time. See, what's your point? What's your point, Pastor Josh? I'm saying you have to be honest with yourself about your own failures in order to understand how to really forgive others. And be honest with yourself about how much God has forgiven you so that you can in turn then forgive others. See, the reason we can't forgive them is because we genuinely think they've screwed up way more than I've ever screwed up. Do you see how bad they are? I mean, how could anybody, maybe God could forgive them, but I couldn't forgive them because here's where I'm at and there's where they are. When in reality, an honest picture of ourselves tells us we are just as broken as they. But if I, the, the idea is that we, we sometimes say to ourselves, but I would never, some of you might even be thinking right now, but Pastor Josh, I would never do what they did to me. Come on. Really? Because you're so good. Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, he said, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, but you've been sanctified but you've been justified. Look at what it says on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, you think you're so holy, but before you got saved, before you didn't even wash yourself. It was Christ that washed you. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. It was God that has cleaned you up to the point where you're at. And let's be honest, we are still broken. And God is still sanctifying us. See, this is what we need to understand. 
honesty with ourselves about who we are. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Look at what it says. It says in Ephesians 4, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven. The same way God has forgiven me through Christ, I can forgive others because I've experienced it. My mother is a coupon queen. How many couponers? Any couponers here? How many couponers? All right, we got a couponer. Yeah, very good. All right, now she's a couponer. She doesn't just clip it out. She's the one who finds the double coupons and the triple. Have you ever done the double and triple? Yeah, lady, I'm for you. What's your name? Rebecca. Come on, Rebecca. That's my mom, man. I remember she, she had the whole thing. She had shoeboxes and all, all of them lined out and stuff. And she would find special coupon deals, like, like, like real coupon deals, where you go to a specific store where it's triple coupon day and unlimited. You could buy unlimited. This was years ago. I don't know if they still do this. And she would go, man, she would go li- unlimited. And I remember one time she found a deal where she had one coupon for one store where you could find a jar of peanut butter and the right coupon spent at the right day made the peanut butter nine cents a jar. Okay, when I say that, I want you to go, because <gasps> we're talking peanut butter, folks. I'm going to try it again. Practice there. All right. Nine cents a jar. I know. <laughs> Never heard of anything like this, right? Nine cents a jar. So here's my mom. I remember, I'll, like yesterday, I was a teenager, walked in. It was a little embarrassing. She had a cart. I had a cart. And we walked into the peanut butter aisle. And it wasn't like good peanut butter, you know, like Jif. You know, like Peter Pan peanut butter, you know, the preserved, you know, one with the stuff that it was, it was like peanuts with oil on top, you know, the healthy stuff. Forget that stuff, man. Give me the process. Give me cancer. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So, but she, nine cents a jar. So, all right, here we go. She started putting them in the cart. She filled up one cart to the brim. She filled up a second cart to the brim, sold them out. We went home with over 200 jars of peanut butter. Hand to God, that's the truth. Man, we had peanut butter all the time. We went home. She had a closet. We emptied the closet, stacked up jars of peanut butter. We had peanut butter for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Peanut butter in our cereal. Peanut butter sandwiches. Peanut butter in the casserole. We ordered pizza. Just put peanut butter, slather it on there. It's peanut butter. I was so sick of peanut butter. Has so much peanut butter. Friends, people would visit our house. We'd have friends come over. We're playing in the backyard. Before they go, we'd give them jars of peanut butter. They're walking home with peanut butter. This is what they did. So much peanut butter is ridiculous. Nobody needs that much peanut butter. It was overflowing with peanut butter. You know what God says? God says, I have given you mercy. I have given you grace. I have given you love. So much I've given you. It overflows. How could you not let it spill out onto others? See, God has been so good to us in our forgiveness. He's forgiven us so many times. From his perspective, he's wondering, how could you not, just by people interacting with you and touching you, pour forgiveness on them? But we forget, and we hoard the forgiveness, and we've got jars of forgiveness, and we've got entire warehouses of forgiveness, and we shut it up. And when somebody wants one, we say, no, you don't get any forgiveness. You don't deserve it. Mine. How terrible. And of course God would say to us, then what is the key to forgiveness? Honesty about what's in, the, in, your, in your storage, you see? So what do we see? The key to forgiveness we see is love and honesty. And before we go, I want to talk about one other thing. And that is, what do I do when I am supposed to forgive someone with whom I should not restore the relationship? 
Now, this is something that is often not spoken of when we speak of forgiveness in the Bible, but I would propose to you that there are two types of people when it comes to forgiveness. Most of the time, when you forgive, it's to restore them into a brother-sister relationship. I'm going to make up a statistic here. Are you ready for it? 95% of the time, when you have been offended, you should work at restoring the relationship. But sometimes, you need to still forgive even though it's not healthy for you to restore that relationship. And there's a way to do that. See, what do you mean, Pastor Josh? There's sometimes I should not restore the relationship? Yes. You ask the question, what about forgiving a person who shouldn't be restored? What about an abuser? Pastor Josh, what do I do with somebody who's been abusing me? Or even in the past, there was physical abuse or mental abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse. How do I forgive them even though it's not healthy for me to restore a relationship? Or a Christian forgiving a murderer? Or a Christian forgiving a toxic person? Someone in their life that is just not good for them. And the fact is they should not be around them because the more they're around them, the more they walk away from the gospel of grace. How do I forgive that person? Or an ex Uh, an ex-lover or an ex-partner, what do I do to forgive that person? Hear me. There are some people in life God has called you to forgive but does not necessitate a restoration of relationship. You still ought to forgive for the Lord's sake and for your own. And for those, there are two words I'll give you and we'll be done. Those two words are pity and trust. For all other relationships... And all other restorative forgiveness, you've got love and honesty. But for others' relationships, pity and trust. What do you mean pity? Pity. How many of you you are from the 80s like I am? How many of you remember Mr. T? What did Mr. T say about pity? Yeah, you pity the fool. You know. Yeah, this guy, he's like, yeah, pity the fool. I struck a chord, huh? Yeah, he loves Mr. T. Pity, 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 pity. You know, as Christians, we think of the word pity and we think it's bad because we think, I don't want anybody to pity me. But did you know that Jesus exemplified pity? And it's a way to forgive those who may not even see their own sin. I want you to now picture with me Jesus. I want your mind's eye to go to Mount Calvary. I want you to see him there hanging upon the cross. I want you to see him as he's looking down into the eyes of the Roman soldiers whom he created, the ones that he loved. Do you understand that Jesus knew those Roman soldiers' names? He knew their childhoods. He knew their dreams. I want you to understand that Jesus looked in the eyes of these Roman soldiers and he knew the path that took for that Roman soldier to get them there. Jesus looking at this Roman soldier that had just beaten him with a cat of nine tails, that had plated a crown thorns upon his head who had beaten him with a rod jesus knows where this kid came from he's god in human flesh and he remembers when that little boy was a little boy in the island of in the in the peninsula of italy he remembers that little boy when he signed up into the roman garrison for the first time or was conscribed he knows that little boy as he was shipped out to a land he didn't even ever want to go named Palestine. He knew what it was like for that young man to be abused by, by those in senior leadership. He watched as this Roman soldier went through his difficult life. Please understand, Jesus knew that Roman soldier as well as he knows you. And he loved that Roman soldier. 
And now here the Roman soldier is at the foot of his cross, mocking him and playing games and and gambling on his garment. And you and I sit back and we hate that Roman soldier. The reason we hate that Roman soldier is because we don't understand him. But Jesus understood him. Jesus knew his background. And so in Luke chapter 22 and verse 33, we arrive in this passage. Look at it on the screen. It says in Luke chapter 22 and verse 23, it says, and when they were come up into the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified Jesus and the malefactors, one on the right hand, one on the left. And they said, and then said Jesus, listen to what Jesus says. As all of this is going on, he says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. That is called pity. He not only knows the tragic steps that took for them to get there, he also knows the the horrific, uh, 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 vengeful wrath of his father. And he thinks to himself, I love them and I see where they came from. And I know that my father in heaven is going to get them. So he says, oh, father, they don't even know what they've done. Pity. Do you understand? Maybe it's time for you to slip into the shoes of the one who did you wrong and think through where they came from. What happened to them when they were a child? What happened to them throughout their life? What they've experienced to the point where they arrived and hurt you. Not only that, but where they are now where their sin has led them, the traps and prison that they find themselves in, the lack of peace that they experience, and if they never repent of their sin, where they will spend eternity. And now you begin to get a view from God's point of view, and you begin to have empathy or pity upon this person. Now you don't want them damned. You feel bad for them. You want to know how to forgive someone that you should not restore a relationship with? It's not healthy for you to be with them, but you need to have forgiveness. Listen, pity them. It's okay to. It's right to. It's compassionate to. Lastly, what do you do? Lastly, you trust. When I say trust, I don't mean trust the person who hurt you. I'm saying trust the God of heaven who knows how to deal with these problems. Sometimes we feel like we cannot forgive because there's an inherent sense of justice. Do you understand that God created you with a sense of justice? That is, you know the difference between right and wrong. And when somebody does wrong, you want them to pay for it. That's God-given. Forgiving them, though, is allowing them to get away with it. That's what you think. If I forgive them, they'll get away with it. The answer is no. This is where we must trust the just God of heaven. I'll explain it this way and then we'll be done. Picture the Apostle Paul lastly today. He's in the church at Corinth, but his mind is not on Corinth. He's trying to minister there on his last missionary journey, but somebody keeps telling him about all the Christians up in Rome where he's about to go. And so the Apostle Paul is sitting down and he's trying to explain theology in the book of Romans of how to get saved and what reality is about the Christian life. And when he gets to Romans chapter 12, he's talking practically and he says to the church at Rome, he says, now look, you've got to stop physically fighting and defending yourself against the Romans. Because the Romans were then now beginning to persecute the church. And he says to the Roman Christians, Dearly beloved, I'm begging you, those who I love, 
don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. If you start fighting against these Romans up in Rome, they're going to wipe out the Christian church and keep spreading that wiping out throughout the entire Roman Empire. Don't fight for yourselves, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. The Christians were like, but don't you understand, Paul? They're killing us and they're fighting us and they're destroying our churches. What are we going to do? He said, don't fight. Now's not the time. God will bring vengeance. There is a point at which the Christian needs to sit back and say, God, bring vengeance upon your enemies when you're ready to. But friend, you have to trust that God's going to do it when God's going to do it. And you have to trust that if God wants to bring mercy instead of vengeance, he'll do that too. It's all about trust. Here's the question. Do you trust God? I want to hear a yes if it's true. Do you trust God? Trust Him. Let me tell you something about trust as I close. Trust brings peace. I can't forgive them because if I forgive them, who will hold them accountable? Trust God. He's in charge. Trust Him. And when there's a trust, you just have, God will take care of it. My wife and I have been married 16 years. There's my wife. 16. We were married at the age of nine. (laughs) It's not true. We're old. 16 years we were married, and um, we've been married long enough to know a lot about each other. For example, I could tell you about her irrational uh, fear of fish. She's afraid of fish. How many of you think that's a little weird? I don't because I'm her husband. Quit being judgmental. All right. All right. <laughs> I could tell you about her love of goats. She loves goats, all kinds of goats. Loves goats. I know these things about her. I also know about uh, um, early on, I, I know about her, her, her little boyfriends growing up. Jerks. <laughs> I remember. Remember she told me about one little boyfriend when she was a teenager she had. I've heard about him so many times, it makes me sick. His name is Daniel Tidwell. Sounds like a jerk, right? If this, is this online? Good, I'm going to send it to him. I'm going to send this to him. <laughs> Look him up on Facebook. Take that, Daniel Tidwell. She's told me about him. And this is what she said she, she would say growing up. Or growing up, as we were first married, she'd tell me about, oh, yeah, when I was this age and that age, and, and, and Daniel was such a good guy, such a sweet guy. He loved Jesus. Loved Jesus. Just loves Jesus. I'm like, I don't think he does. <laughs> he was a good kid. He was a good kid. Went to a different church, and he believed a little differently, but he loved Jesus, and he was such a strong leader, such a strong leader. No, he's not. He's a jerk. That's who he is. I hear about Daniel Tidwell all the time. I'm sick and tired of hearing about Daniel Tidwell. Last summer, my family, I took my family to Washington, D.C. for a vacation. Spent a little time with family, like Pastor Josh. So I went to Washington, D.C. And my wife tells me, literally, as we're flying out there, she said, you know what? I said, what? She said, I think Daniel Tidwell lives in Washington. I said, turn the plane around. <laughs> and you see Daniel Tidwell. I don't need to go to Washington, D.C. What's he doing in Washington? Oh, I think he's, he works for these campaigns, and he's involved in this community outreach and all this. And, Sounds like a jerk to me, trying to help communities and outreach. And I said, probably not even a Christian. Oh, no, he works at a church too. It's probably a phony Christian is what he is. 
we, we spend the week traveling around. And then we went to this church. Um, my wife picked um, this church that we went to. That's not true. I picked the church. Went to this church, uh, this famous church that I wanted to visit. There's a pastor out there. And I'm like, okay, let's go to this church. This is the location. The church has multiple locations. I said, let's go visit it on Sunday. I want to hear it. So we go in, we sit down, had a great worship time, studied the, studied the Bible, and then we left. On the way out, uh, this was a place, a church where they served coffee, and uh, like here, and I had a cup of coffee, and in the middle of the worship, I got so excited, I spilled the coffee on me. How many have ever spilled coffee on yourself? You still try to be cool about it? You're not cool. You got coffee on you. I'm like trying to like, I'm like, you know, just got coffee. You cannot be cool with coffee on your shirt, but I had coffee coming down here, picked up the kids from the place, I had coffee, and they had a donut table at this church where they had donuts, free free donuts. You don't tell me twice. I'll take the donuts. But here's the deal. You walked up. I grabbed a half a donut because they cut them in half. They cut them in half because they're cheap. <laughs> so that you can't mess with me. Like I grabbed a half a donut, put it in my mouth. I grabbed two more, you know, not for the kids, for me. So I had coffee. I had three kids on me. I had three donuts and there I am. I'm just like this. And all of a sudden from behind me over here, I'm sitting there at the table. Somebody, I hear somebody say, Heather Cordes. Oh my word, is that you? And I looked up with a donut hanging out of my mouth, coffee stain, children, donuts in one hand, and there's a tall, ruggedly handsome man standing there two feet from my wife like this. And I said, I'll bet you that's Daniel Tidwell. <laughs> that jerk. And I walked over with my donuts like this. I'm ready to throw down. It's church time. Heather's right there, and she said, she said, Daniel Tidwell, they're from the South, can you tell, anybody can tell? She said, Daniel Tidwell, is that you? Oh, my word. A big hug, and I'm sitting there thinking, there's about to be a dead man, Washington, D.C. She, I was like, okay, now what happens next? I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen next. And she had her phone, and she looked over to me, and I'm like, here it is, it's time for, to be introduced to the husband the man of her life, the man of her dreams. I stood on my tiptoes, and I walked up to shake my hand. As I go to shake the hand, my wife says, hey, Josh, take my camera and take a picture of us. So here I am. I got coffee on down my shirt. I've got donuts out my mouth. I got children hanging on. I'm taking a picture, and there they are, sweet little couple, getting a picture. And I looked at the picture, and I thought to myself, they make a cute couple. It's really sad. That little... You say, Pastor, did that really bother you? The, the, the reality is, and I've been truthful this entire sermon, the answer is it didn't really bother me at all. Not at all, really. I make a joke of it because it's a funny story, but it's a joke to me. You say, why is it a joke to you? Here's why. Here's why. Because I absolutely 100% trust that woman. And she trusts me. We've not, we've not done anything in our lives to break that trust as of yet. It's a deep, long-lasting long trust. Don't get confused in the illustration. Some of you are thinking about your relationships. Let me make the point. We've been together and trusting so long that didn't bother me at all. No reason to distrust her. And where there is trust, there's peace. Look at me now. More important than your relationship with your spouse or your friends, your relationship with God, you should be able to trust him. Do you trust him? Look, somebody did you wrong. You're his child. I'm going to take care of it. You don't have to. Do you trust God? He'll take care of it. See, it's hard to trust him. The more I get to know, know Heather, the more I trust her. The more you get to know God, the more you'll trust him. For I'll tell you somebody who's even more trustworthy than Heather, and that's the Lord. 
this is the step that you might need to take in order to understand forgiveness in your heart. Look, you can't go up to Yosemite without getting a few bug bites and a little dirt on you camping out. That's what we did. And you can't live in this world long enough without going through offense and hurt and heartache. You just need to know how to get cleaned up. And how to get cleaned up is through the power of God through you, to learning how to trust, for, trust God, forgive, have pity, love, compassion, honesty with yourself, and you'll, you'll understand forgiveness. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.